Well, church, let me encourage you, if you would, to grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be spending some time this morning. And I do want to let you know today how grateful I am to be back with you this morning. Our family had some really good time away as a family, getting to, to see extended family and, and just to, to take a little bit of a break. And it was, it was a tremendous blessing to our family. But we are excited to be back and excited for this, this new season as we prepare for a new school year. And so I just want to thank you for your, your prayers for us over these last couple of weeks. And I also want to thank uh, our, our pastors who stepped in and who handled the pulpit with uh, tremendous, tremendous gifting. And I'm so grateful for their messages, their sermons that were preached over the last couple of weeks to Bradley and to Jeremy and to Ben. Our, our staff team here is incredible. And I'm so grateful that, that those three men stepped in. Yeah, give them a hand. They are fantastic. We've got a great, great team here at Shades. And today I have the privilege to, to step into the series that they have already launched in such a powerful way as we continue to look at this theme of warning and hope that shows up all throughout the word of the Lord. And we're doing so through this lens of Acts chapter two, where we see one of the most significant sermons, not only in the word of God, but one of the most significant sermons really in the history of the world, because it was out of this great sermon that the apostle Peter preached coming on the heels of the events of Pentecost, that the, the church was born. It's, it's the church gets launched out in the power of the Spirit of God from this sermon in Acts chapter 2. In fact, you can look at the end of Acts 2 and you can see the Word of God says that, that through the Spirit of God moving in the midst of this sermon, as Peter preached, over 3,000 people trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. And the beginning of the church is launched into the world. It is a significant moment in the history of the church, a significant moment in the history of the world. In fact, it's one of those amazing things to consider that every single follower of Jesus Christ can trace their faith lineage all the way back to this sermon. This is where the church began. And God is showing his power, his supernatural power as the spirit of God falls on the early disciples, the followers of Jesus, and, and the church is built up to launch into the world. And we're going to step into this sermon, Acts chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 16. But before I read it, I want you to know that at the beginning of this sermon, where we're looking here this morning, the apostle Peter does a reference back to the Old Covenant. He looks back to the Old, the old Testament, if you will, and he references or quotes the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel deals specifically with the day of the Lord, what we've been talking about throughout this sermon. In fact, one of the central themes that runs throughout the entire book of Joel from the prophet Joel is this theme, the day of the Lord. So at the beginning of this sermon, where we'll start today, that's what Peter is referring to when he quotes 
from Joel. So that's a little, little background here as we step into Acts 2. And I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read from the Word of God this morning. This has become our custom here at Shades. We stand for the reading of God's Word. And you may, if you're new, you may wonder, why do we do this? Well, the reason we stand for the reading of God's Word is so that every single one of us can be reminded there is a foundation that the people of God stand upon. It is his word. There is a foundation of what God says is right and good and true that the people of God trust, humbly submit to and follow. It is his word. We stand in reverence to the Holy Scripture because as we gather as a church, those who are followers of Christ among us here, recognize we need the word of God to speak into our lives. So listen to what the word of the Lord lays before us. Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 16. This is Peter preaching and he says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So here we're looking back several hundred years before Christ would walk on the earth is when Joel prophesied. And this is what Peter references from Joel. It says this, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And then verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord inviting us to be prepared for the day of the Lord. And so the question I want to lay out right up front before we pray and are seated, and the question I'll be asking all throughout this message is, are you prepared for the day of the Lord? Let's pray as we consider God's word together here this morning and we'll be seated. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your holy scripture. Thank you for divinely inspiring the apostle Peter to preach this sermon 2,000 years ago that launched the church onto the scene. Thank you for the spirit of God falling in power on your people that those who are followers of Jesus can live a life of faith empowered by your work and your finished deed. We pray now as we turn to you and consider your word that you would have your way among us, Lord, that our eyes truly would be open today to what you desire for us to see. I pray for just this moment that we share here, that the distractions will be cleared away, that we won't be thinking about all the things we need to do later today or this coming week, but we will listen Listen with spiritual ears to that which you say. I pray, Lord, that we would not be the same 
as a result of what your word lays before us. I pray, Lord God, that we would be a people prepared for the day of the Lord. We look to you in these things. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And I want to begin this morning just by asking you, have you ever been in one of those situations where you realize as the situation is unfolding or as a meeting is beginning or as a teacher announces there's a pop quiz in the class or as you're walking through something in life where you, where you kind of stop and realize I am completely unprepared for this moment. I am completely unprepared for what I'm about to walk through. I'm completely unprepared for this presentation that the boss has called on me to make. I didn't do any prep work and now I have to just wing it on the spot. I'm completely unprepared for the pop quiz that that teacher has just announced. Or as a parent, I might say right now, I feel completely unprepared for the fact that we're about to send our oldest McKenna to college in like a week and a half. That's crazy. Have you ever found yourself in one of those situations where you feel totally unprepared? It's not a good feeling to feel unprepared. I, I think back to when I was a freshman in college, exam week rolled around, first semester. And I hadn't really been taking my classes too seriously. I'll go ahead and confess that to you. I was having a great time in college, but class was not a part of that great time. And so when exams came around, I was like, hey, I really need to study. So I got together with a buddy to, to study for my math exam. And yes, the, the math class I took in college was called math. That's how advanced I was. <laughs> so we decided we needed to study together for this exam that would be happening the next day. But when we got together, it was kind of late the night before the exam. And we were hungry, and so we said, hey, before we study, let's go to Waffle House because no one studies on an empty stomach. So we went to Waffle House. We crushed an all-star special. We came back to uh, our dorm where we are going to study. We're like, you know, the exam's not till 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, we really are going to have plenty of time tomorrow to study, so let's just watch Braveheart. So that, that was the way I was approaching college that first semester, Waffle House and Braveheart. That describes the way I studied. And so I just said, hey, I'm going to set my alarm for early the next morning and just cram, cram, cram. And that way it'll be fresh on my mind and I'll walk into the exam. I'll be ready to go. So I set my alarm to get up early before the sun came up to study for math. So I'd be ready for a 10 o'clock exam. And when I woke up the next morning, it was 1030. I don't know if I forgot to turn the alarm on or Turned it off when it began to buzz. What I don't know, but 10.30, the exam started at 10. I'm already 30 minutes late, so I get dressed quickly. I run across campus. I walk into the lecture hall where the exam is taking place. I see everybody in the midst of the test. I realize I've only got a few minutes left to even try to finish this final. And so I go to the professor, very frantically, but trying to act calm and play it cool and say, man, I'm so sorry. I overslept, can I have some extra time for the exam? To which the professor looked at me and said, son, you're not in high school anymore. And I realized I was gonna get to take that class again the next semester. <laughs> because I was completely unprepared. 
It's not a good feeling to be unprepared. And I realize as we walk through this series, a warning and a hope, we're dealing with some weighty, weighty topics. As we begin to talk about the day of the Lord, we are, we are dealing with a sobering reality that the word of God lays before us. And so we can say, you know, why, why do we need to talk about that? I mean, that's kind of hard to hear. I mean, why do we need to talk about a day of reckoning? That's, that's not a feel-good message. Why do we need to talk about a day of judgment? That, that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Well, we're talking about it because the word of God talks about it so that we can be prepared for that day. Because no one, no one wants to stand in the midst of the day of the Lord unprepared for the day of the Lord. And so the word of God lays out these warnings and these warnings are not to be cruel. These warnings are not to throw us down on the ground. These warnings are not to abuse us. These warnings are an invitation, an invitation to be prepared. And that's what we're seeing here in Acts chapter two in this amazing circumstance of events that is happening as the church is being born and thrust into the world and the power of the spirit of God that has fallen on the people of God, Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon. This sermon is a sermon of, sermon of warning and it's a sermon of hope. It's an invitation to be prepared for the day of the Lord. And we need to understand the, the context in which this sermon is being preached because it's unlike anything that has ever happened before or since in the history of the church. The Spirit of God literally has fallen on the people of God. This is what we talk about when we talk about the events of Pentecost. The disciples of Jesus Christ after his resurrection and ascension are gathered together waiting. What are we supposed to do now? Jesus has ascended in to heaven and what's going to happen next? And as they're gathered together, Acts 2 tells us this. You can read the beginning of Acts 2 later today. It says a mighty rushing wind blew through the disciples of Jesus. And then it says this is like something out of a, a movie. In fact, I, I want you to know this. Hollywood has nothing on the Bible. The Bible talks about some crazy, unbelievable things. It says that tongues of fire, as this mighty rushing wind blew through the room, began to rest on the followers of Jesus. I mean, can you just imagine what this must have been like? And then the, the disciples began to speak. And even though there were people gathered from all different areas, speaking many different languages with many cultural backgrounds, anyone who was listening could understand what the disciples were saying in their own native tongue. This is the spirit of God empowering the church of Jesus Christ to live the mission, to do the work of the ministry, to point to the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. 
And it's coming out of this context as the spirit of God has fallen on the people of God that Peter stands up and delivers this sermon. Look at what it says in Acts chapter two, verse 11, 12, and 13. It says both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we're hearing them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is absolutely incredible. And so you see how the crowd of people respond. It says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking them, saying, they are filled with new wine. I want to stop here for a moment before we step back into Peter's sermon and his quotation of the prophet Joel. I want to remind us all that over these last couple of weeks, we have laid out a definition for the day of the Lord that states this. The day of the Lord is a time when the Lord God directly and decisively acts in human history to accomplish his will and reveal his glory. The day of the Lord, a time when the Lord God directly and decisively acts in human history to accomplish his will and to reveal his glory. You could call this a day of reckoning when all will give an account. You could call this a day of judgment when all will stand before the holy and righteous God. And when we talk about the day of the Lord, We're talking about the supernatural power and authority that belongs to God alone. We're talking about the judgment of God. And when we talk about these things, people respond differently. There are some, many of you perhaps, who respond in awe at the power of God. You respond in wonder at the authority of God. And you say, like the people here in Acts 2, what what are we supposed to think of these things? How should we respond? What does this mean for us? And there's this posture of, of, of humility and repentance. Lord, I want to know how I can be ready. I know that I need you. I cannot be prepared on my own. Lord, you've got to intervene on my behalf. Some people, when they hear the day of the Lord, the supernatural authority of God and the miraculous works of the hand of God, like what we've seen at Pentecost, they they respond in humble repentance saying, God, we need you. But there are others, and perhaps this is some of you today. Perhaps this is some of your friends and family. When you've talked to them about your faith, they they hear of, of things like the day of the Lord or they hear of things like the miracles of God through Christ or they hear of things like the supernatural power and authority of God displayed through the spirit of God and, and they think, oh, come on. That's crazy religious talk. You people are a bunch of lunatics. And they're just dismissive and they're just flipping about about these very important spiritual things. And they may even look at, at, at those who are following Jesus or those who believe in the day of the Lord. And they may say, oh, you're crazy. You're just like a you're just like a bunch of drunks. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what's real. And we see that here in Acts 2 as well, don't we? Yes, there is a group of people who humbly respond to the Lord through what they've seen in the power of God, 
falling at Pentecost saying, what does this mean? We, we need to look to the Lord. We need the power of God in our life. We cannot save ourselves, but there are others who flippantly look at the, the power of God at work among the people of God and go, oh, they're crazy. They're religious nuts. They're a bunch of drunks. They don't know what's real. They don't know what's right. And so the question is, how do you view the day of the Lord? How do you view what the word of God lays before us? Do you look at the word of God in humble repentance, acknowledging your need for the Lord? Or do you look at the word of God and what it says about the day of the Lord and what is coming being dismissive and flippant, saying, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. That doesn't even make any sense. I love how Peter handles the mocking of some in the crowd. He just stands up and addresses it and moves right on with the word of God. We see that in Acts chapter two, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the 11, with the other apostles, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Peter's like, hey, you're calling us illogical? Well, why don't you think about what you're actually saying here? It's the morning time. Okay, the sun's just come up. The first hour of the day would have been about six o'clock. It was, the day started when the sun came up. So the third hour of the day is about nine o'clock in the morning. And Peter's looking out going, hey, you think all these people are hammered at nine o'clock in the morning? No, they're not. That's illogical. That's crazy. There's something going on here that you need to pay attention to. And Peter says, let me tell you what it is. In fact, let me tell you that what is happening here in the power of, the God, of God has actually been prophesied about hundreds of years ago. And that's where Peter begins to quote from the prophet Joel. In fact, you can read this in Joel chapter 2. Peter's saying, look, we're not, we're not drunk. We're experiencing the power of God doing exactly what God said he would do in those days, in the last days, it shall be that God will pour out his spirit. That's what's happening here, Peter says. You're seeing the prophecy revealed. You're seeing the spirit of God fall on the people of God just as God said it would. But not only that, Peter can look back on what happened just a few days before as the disciples gathered with Jesus in the upper room and shared a, a last supper, what we now call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, where Jesus took bread and he took wine and he said, this is my body and this is my blood that is given for you. And he washed the disciples' feet and he said, go and do likewise. And then he said in John 14, you can read this later, John 14, that the spirit, the helper would come. And he would fill the disciples with power and even greater things than were experienced when Jesus was alive on earth will happen through the spirit of God in dwelling and filling the people of God. This is prophecy revealed. 
This is the word of God coming to life right in front of their eyes. Peter is saying through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the power of what Christ has done, sin and death has been defeated. The finished work of the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit has now given birth to the church and we have entered into a new era called the last days. This is what Peter is talking about. The prophet Joel said, in the last days, the spirit of God will fall. What are the last days? Well, theologians would say the last days are the days between when Christ ascends into heaven and the spirit of God falls on the church and Christ returns from heaven in all of his glory at the second coming of the Messiah. So church, it's important you understand this. We need to understand this. We are living in the last days. They began when Christ ascended into heaven. The last days will culminate at the day of the Lord when Jesus comes again. We are living in the last days. When is the day of the Lord going to happen? We don't know. When will the last days be over? When is the last day of the last days? We do not know, but I'll tell you this. We're one day closer than we were yesterday. And so the question is, are you prepared? Are we prepared for the day of the Lord? We are living in the last days between the ascension and the second coming of Christ. Are we prepared for the final day? And so we return to this sermon as Peter is inviting us to ask the question, are we, are we ready? Are we ready for the day of the Lord. Verse 19 of Acts 2, it says this, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be burned to darkness and the moon turned to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now, I, I do wanna stop here and just ask the question, isn't it seemingly unusual that as Peter quotes from the prophet Joel and talks about blood and fire and vapor of smoke and says the sun will turn to darkness and the moon will turn to blood, that his tagline at the end is, what a great and magnificent day. I mean, don't we read that and go, that's a little unusual. That seems like a terrifying day. That seems like a horrific day. Blood and fire and smoke and the sun going dark and the moon turning like blood. Like how in the world could anyone describe that as a great and magnificent day? Well, church, don't miss this. This is so incredibly important. The day of the Lord is called a great and magnificent day because at the day of the Lord, the power and the authority of God will be on full display. The things of this world will go strangely dim and there will be no question at all who is reigning over all things. 
at the day of the Lord, there will be no question at all who is in control. There will be no question at all who is worthy of worship and worthy of praise and worthy to be feared and worthy to be adored. There will be no question at all who is the one reigning over all at the day of the Lord. What a great and magnificent day for those who are in Christ. And that's what we see in verse 21. As Peter, again, quoting from the prophet Joel says, and it shall come to pass that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the day of the Lord, please don't miss this, is a great and magnificent day because the salvation of the Lord through the finished work of Jesus Christ will be on full display. And church, we need to hear this. At the day of the Lord, there will be no question who is following Jesus. At the day of the Lord, there will be no question who has called upon the name of the Lord and received the gift of salvation. Hey, at the day of the Lord, church, don't miss this. Don't miss this. At the day of the Lord, everything about cultural Christianity or casual, flippant church attendance or religion that doesn't really change lives or those who just say they're a Christian but never follow Jesus, that will be burned away. And it will be clear who is a follower of Jesus. Because those who have called on the name of the Lord will be saved. While all of the world around them is crying out in fear or in terror at the day of the Lord, those who have called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved will worship in awe and gratitude and thanksgiving and joy at the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ that has saved them from what their sins deserve. At the day of the Lord, it will be very clear who God is and it will be very clear who has trusted him in faith. Which is why the prophet and the apostle say the day of the Lord will be a great and magnificent day. What a day it will be for all who have called on the name of the Lord. And so again, the question as we ask, will we be prepared, is what will that day be like for you? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus or are you trusting in your own ability or your own control or your own power to try and save yourself? 
Have you trusted in the finished work of Christ, believing that Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself? Or are you being flippant and dismissive about the things of faith and the work of the Lord? What will the day of the Lord be like for you? Peter lays out a very personal invitation as he continues his sermon, and this is where we will conclude this morning, Acts chapter two, verses 22 and 24. He's just quoted from the prophet Joel again in Joel chapter two, and now he begins to, to preach out of this quotation from Joel, and he says this in Acts two twenty-two: men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter's saying, listen, all of these miracles that you've heard about or even seen, because many eyewitnesses would have been there as Peter was delivering this sermon, all of the miracles of Jesus that happened in his time on earth, all the signs and the wonders of his ministry on earth, they were done to reveal who he is. That he is the son of God who has come to give his life as a ransom for many. That he is the son of God who came to live a perfect and sinless life. A life that you and I could never live. And then to offer that life as the atonement, the sacrifice, the payment for sin at the cross. As the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, if you will, is poured out on the back of Christ at the cross. Sin and death is defeated as Christ rises from the grave and ascends into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father until that day when he comes again. Peter is saying, look, everything that Jesus has done on earth points to who he is and the invitation that he is laying before you that through Jesus, you can be prepared for the day of the Lord. And this was God's plan. It's not like the cross caught God off guard. It's not like the cross was some big surprise and God goes, now what do I do? I, I need to respond to these bad people who've killed my son. No, the cross was the plan. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. But it was my sin and your sin and the sin of the world that thrust Christ onto that cross as he willingly absorbed the wrath of God as a payment for sin. I love what Dr. Al Mohler writes in his commentary on this passage. I want to read this to you. He says, Jesus did not end up on the cross by failure of his ministry. Peter declared that Jesus was delivered by God the Father according to the predetermined plan of God. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who was sent to die. Church, listen to this. 
This great truth should give Christians everywhere steady assurance that God is truly in control of world history and in control of our lives. Our God is not waiting to see how history unfolds. He is the God who acts in history. He is the transcendent, eternal, sovereign, omnipotent, and omniscient God. This is good news. That as we face the day of the Lord, and as we face the reckoning before God, of sin, and as we give an account for the way we have lived, and as we face the judgment of God that only a holy and righteous and perfect judge can bring about, we can stand before God through Christ knowing that we do not stand on our merit and our performance in our works, in our deeds. We stand as those, if we are in Christ, who have been transformed by the power of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we don't stand in fear. And we don't look at the events of the world around us in fear. And we don't look at the cultural decline in fear. And we don't look at wars and rumors of wars in fear. And we don't look at the next political election in fear. And we don't look at changing circumstances in fear because we know, church, we know because of what Christ has done. We know because this was the plan of God. We know because God did his greatest work through what seemed to be the most hopeless situation in the history of the world. As Jesus went to the cross, it was not the end of the story. We know our God is in control. And so we do not look at the world in fear. And we do not hide from what God has called us to do. Our God reigns. He is sovereign and ruling over all and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The question is, do we trust him? You may be here today worried sick about all different circumstances in your life. Do you trust him? You may be here today scared to death of all the changes you're seeing in the culture around you. Do you trust him? You may be here today wondering if you'll be prepared for the day of the Lord. Do you trust him? For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is an invitation for the church to stand in confidence that our God is reigning and our God is in control. And this is an invitation for those who have never experienced the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in a personal way to come and receive this gift that has been offered to you to call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe you're here today knowing you need to receive this gift in a personal way to receive the gift of salvation, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But I also would guess that there are some of you who are here today and you really are consumed with fear. 
when you really are consumed with worry or with doubt, it, the circumstances you're walking through or the things you're seeing around you, the invitation is offered to you as well. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Be saved from that fear. Be saved from that doubt. Be saved from that worry. Call upon the name of the Lord for he is reigning over all. He is in control and he will come again. Call on the name of the Lord. As we close our time here this morning, I wanna have a word of prayer and then we're gonna stand together and sing as we often do at the conclusion of our service. But as we stand to sing, I, just, I, I want to just continue in, in, the, in the posture that we've had in recent weeks as, as Ben and Jeremy and Bradley have led us. They, they've, they've invited us to come to the altar, to come and to pray, to come and respond in faith. We wanna, we wanna make that available again today. You may need to lay down some fears you may need to lay down some doubts or some worry. You need, may need to come and just call on the name of the Lord. Whatever it is that the Lord may be stirring in your life that you need to bring before him, this stage, these steps, this is the altar. Come, get before the Lord. Prepare your heart for the day of the Lord. Look to him and trust him in faith for he is sovereign, he is reigning, he is in control over all things. Will you trust him? Let me pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful, so grateful for your love and, and your grace that invites us to see what you have laid before us in your word. And in your word of love and grace, you invite us to be prepared through the finished work of Jesus and Lord, I'm so grateful for that invitation. It, it can be sobering, it can feel daunting at times, it can even feel overwhelming, but that invitation is so beautiful that you and your love for us want us to be prepared. You and your love for us want us to be set free. You and your love for us want us to be saved. Lord, thank you for that great love and that amazing grace. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a people who are prepared for the day of the Lord. I pray that we would be a people who are passionate to share the good news we have received so that others might be prepared for the day of the Lord. And I pray that whatever it is that we might be carrying or holding on to, whatever fears we may be wrestling with or, or, or doubts that have consumed us, Lord, I pray that we would trust you. That we would just lay our lives before you and say, Lord, I, I don't understand all these things. I believe you're in control and I trust you. I can't fix all this. I can't control all this. I believe you're in control and I trust you. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us through a warning and through a hope that you are the God who is reigning over all. We look to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.